0: All right, truth seekers, we have a big interview for you this morning or this lunchtime. I am very pleased to be joined for his first time here on the show. It's Rajiv Malhotra, who is, he's a great thinker. He is a person who writes about AI. He writes about civilization. He writes about religion, philosophy, and civilizational studies, world religions, cross-cultural encounters. Rajiv was trained initially as a physicist and then is a computer scientist specializing in all in AI in the 1970s, which is something else we're going to have to talk about because he's got an AI book out that I want to discuss at some point. Today, we're going to focus more on India. His current book is Snakes in the Ganga, Breaking India 2.0, which is, I assume, a bit of a sequel to Breaking India, Western Interventions in Dravidian and Dalit Fault Lines. Rajiv, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me to your show. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm very pleased as well. And when I was reading about the book and reading about the things that you discuss, I find out that you know you are very well-respected in the things that you have to say about India, about the relationships between India and the West and the way that we seem to be exporting some of our, <laughs> our worst ideologies. You make the point that India like the U.S., is fragmenting into groups through wokeness and CRT. Yes.
1: Yeah, just to give a little background, uh, I have lived in the United States for 52 years. I came here when I was 20 years old uh, as a physicist and then became a computer scientist then I worked up the ladder of large corporate people, large, biggest uh, companies in the country. And I started my own IT companies, tech companies. I had 20 tech companies. And about 30 years ago, I decided to quit for profit and go into the nonprofit in order to take ideological issues like this. This, is, this was well ahead of its time. And so uh, right now, I've written several books. The one you mentioned on AI came out last year. And this year, my latest book is now this one called Snakes in the Ganga, snakes in the Ganga, uh, uh, and and this book basically the, the the Ganga is a sacred river, and you don't expect poisonous things. Uh, so the metaphor is that we live in a world where we think people around us are good, we don't expect them to be snakes, we don't expect them to be dangerous, but some of them are. So it's hidden hidden uh, dangers in society. That's what the metaphor is, and what it ta- focuses on is wokisms. Threats to civilization, wokeisms. Threats to society, to, to uh, dismantling uh, traditions, dismantling family, dismantling uh, faiths, uh, dismantling uh, all the all that human beings have achieved in so uh, so far. Uh, while while my co-author and I are totally in favor of uh, helping those who are disempowered and and uh, creating equal opportunities, uh, we do not think that the woke movement achieves that. The woke movement has its own uh, high priests. It's almost like a church of its own. And, and, yes. and we feel that it's doing more harm than good. So now all of the, what I just said is kind of commonly discussed in the United States, except the following thing I'm going to say, that wokeism has been exported to, it has metastatized and it has been exported to certain countries, especially India, because the elites in India are English speaking. They are highly educated in the West. And so what happens in the United States gets into India very quickly. So a large amount of uh, Indian elites in judiciary, including the Supreme Court, Justice himself, a lot of people in some government, in uh, industry have become wokeized. And the center of this whole woke movement to export to India is Harvard University, because several thousands of uh, people from the Indian region, uh, uh, India and, and the neighboring countries, are in Harvard as students, as faculty, as alumni. They're involved in various capacities. And Harvard has made it its major mission to uh, churn, work, adapt it for Indian culture, Indian society, and, and uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, export it to these people, and then send them to India to de- dismantle Indian society. So this is a very serious matter because uh, people in the United States need to know that the global left and the deep culture the deep state has has globalized itself. It's not only in the United States, it's also doing its mischief in other countries. And, and therefore, my job in this book is to advise people in India that this is what is coming from the United States. Uh, and to also to my read, the other part of my readership is Americans, you know, white Americans and Americans of all kinds, that this wokeism is actually a global threat.
0: I mean, I do not disagree at all. We do talk about these things quite a bit. And when you say snakes in the gaga, and you talk about snakes as a metaphor for poison, we talk about some of that poison being from academia. And then you went on to say that, you know, ground zero for this is Harvard. So I'm tracking with you very well. We are, I say we in the West or the US, are exporting um, the wokeism here in the States It's CRT, And in India, where people that have come here to be educated on our soil are taking back, unfortunately, to your country, Um, in your country, it's CCT, which is critical caste theory. Talk about that for a second.
1: Yes. So, you know, what has happened is uh, in India, the social structure used to be very fluid and very dynamic in ancient times. And this is written very clearly Uh, up until, you know, a couple of centuries ago when uh, due to various Uh, interventions, various foreign rule, uh, the society started becoming hierarchical. And so there's a hierarchy like in any society, there are people who are who are at the top of the hierarchy, at top of the pyramid. There are people at the lower end of the pyramid, and then there are so many government programs to kind of counter that, give give special uh, quotas of res- special seats in universities for the underprivileged, special allocation of jobs. So there are there are programs to take people who are sort of the downtrodden and help them out, like you would find in any society. But but you know the, the so therefore in some sense what the American wokeism is trying to achieve has already been happening in India for a long time. However, what is new is that the American wokeism wants to dismantle the structures of society, create anarchy, create chaos. And and this is a sort of form of Marxism because Marxism says that when there are people who are are in trouble, you should look for somebody else who's the oppressor. And the oppressor is a category by birth. So in the United States, if you are born white, you are an oppressor, whether you as a person have done anything wrong or not. And if you are born as a black, you are oppressed, whether you are actually underprivileged or not. So this birth-based oppressor and birth-based oppressed has been projected onto Indian society. So people who, whose heritage within India comes from a rich background, they are, they are from the learned tradition, They are people who've done well over multiple generations are declared to be oppressors, whether in their personal capacity, they've done anything wrong or not. So this is this is Wokism 101. And this has entered the Supreme Court. It's entered all kinds of institutions in India. Now, what has happened, unfortunately, is that they've roped in some Indian billionaires, just like here you got Jeff Bezos and, you know, uh, Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg and, and uh, Bill Gates. Yeah. Similarly, there are sim- people in India who are billionaires. They've been roped in by people like Harvard to give their money in order to spread wokeism. So the irony is that these capitalists made their money in free enterprise, free market system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They are now funding They're funding the global left, which is out to undermine the same free market system. I mean, it's it seemed like an oxymoron that the ultra-rich are funding their own demise so that's what's happening in india
0: and that is something that on this show and on other shows that i produce produced in the past is always so paradoxical it's you would think that people who made their way and made their fortune in a capitalistic society would see the value in that and see the value in continuing to encourage that not the opposite but it does seem like many of the ultra rich the, of the ultra elite are on board pushing this kind of Marxist thing, which makes you wonder, well, are they really all part of like something like the WEF or is it just an ideology that they all share, but they all do seem to share it? So
1: I'm glad you mentioned the World Economic Forum, because in my book, the World Economic Forum is actually a center of all this stuff globally. Uh, People from India are brought in large numbers, politicians and industrialists and movie stars and all kinds of people, they love to go to the World Economic Forum. They are being appropriated and co-opted because when, when Indians see their, their countrymen doing, uh, you know, being in the glamour circuit, they think that everything about World Economic Forum must be kosher. So they start reading the position papers, the ideologies coming from the WEF, and they start adopting it. So what has happened is the World Economic Forum, by using its, uh, by using its sophistication, its aristocracy, and the glamour, uh, and all the artistic uh, content, it's able to spread its ideology. And so it has spread a whole mm-hmm. lot of ideas. For example, one of the ideas that it, they came out with is that uh, equality is not good. Equity is good. Equity meaning equal outcomes. Equality means equal opportunity. So in equality, everybody has an equal opportunity. Some will do better than others based on merit. But the World Economic Forum is anti-merit because they feel that merit will privilege certain people over others and that they think is unfair. Uh, So therefore, what they want is equity. Now, if you have a world in which, if you have United States or India or any place where equality is not the rule, but equity, and you force people to have equal outcomes, you will have mediocrity. You will have a basketball team with useless players and a football team with useless players. And you you will not be producing Nobel laureates in science and technology. And you will not have the the big breakthroughs uh, in science and industry like the United States has had. So what you'll have is a mediocre society based on identity politics and, and those, those groups that can claim loud and clear that they are victims uh, will get empowered and other people will be brought down. So I'm all, fa- all in favor of upgrading those who have had a bad future past, but I don't mm-hmm. think you need to bring down other people. It should not be a zero-sum game. It should not be that for me to move up, I got to bring you down. That, I think, is very dangerous, and that is where the Marxism comes in, which we oppose.
0: And you have made the point that because this is so widespread in the U.S., it is going to affect our competitiveness in the tech sector, which is something that India and China already excel at, and we are looking to (laughs) devolve in, in our competitiveness as a result of these ideas. So, you know, the interesting thing is that
1: China is very practical. China wants America to go woke because then that would yeah. be self destructive. So, you know, TikTok exports the, the American version of TikTok is full of all this nonsensical stuff, wokeist stuff. But the TikTok inside China is controlled, it's censored. They talk about logic and value and science and technology, and the number of uh, minutes per day that a child is allowed to go on TikTok is limited. So, they have actually contained TikTok as a as a kind of, in a, in a social sense, in terms of its, its power and its, its influence. But in when a TikTok is exported to other countries, they want it to run wild and do all kinds of crazy things. So Chinese have, and the Chinese have cut out uh, the liberal arts from places like Harvard, because they don't want uh, American universities to teach them about history, society, political thought, all of that stuff. They want that, the, the narrative about China and its society should be controlled by Chinese government and Chinese universities. However, they are funding Harvard and other places they've infiltrated in order to get in the door and spread this kind of wokeism for American consumption. So China is very double-faced, but they're very practical. and They know their own interest.
0: And you talk about the the difference in the West and some of the difference in India has to do with our with the cosmology here in the West. We want order. We want everything. We're like hyper-focused on the differences between you and I and the next person. And I'll be honest, that's part of the reason I call this show deprogrammed because I think that hyper-focus on sex, race, religion, pronouns, that is the actual problem. And within Indian cosmology. It's a different thing where the answer is inside versus outside, and it seems to be more encompassing of difference instead of emphasizing difference.
1: So, you know, the, 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 the interesting thing is that in India, on the one hand, difference is embraced. Difference is embraced because all of nature is, has difference. There are different animals and plants and seasons and, you know, different kind of flowers. And the one God, the one divine has expressed in all these differences. So we celebrate difference. That is all fine. But then the difference is unified because these are all manifestations of the one. So you have the differences to celebrate, but underneath the differences, there is a unity. So the idea is not to break up the unity. The idea is not to create chaos. The idea is to celebrate the unity while recognizing the oneness and celebrate the, the diversity. To celebrate the diversity, while recognizing the unity that lies deeper inside. So it's a it's a it's a two-level approach. At the surface, there is diversity and a lot of different different things happening. But beneath the surface, all of these things are unified by a common common system. Uh, and so the danger is that this common system uh, is being broken up, is being broken up by the Marxist ideology of wokeism, where they want to dismantle the structures that hold Indian society
0: together. And when you talk about the West wanting to export woke culture into developing third world countries, (laughs) essentially in order to create this anarchy, which then allows them further influence, but India is a very, very large country with a very large population. How effective has this wokeness going into India been?
1: So that's a good point. The thing is that while India is a large country, you know, in any country, there's the elite, the top few percent uh, make yeah. the rules, they make the policies, uh, they are the media elite, they are the poli- they are the elites in education and in industry. So if you take the top few percent in all the different segments of society, whether it's government, whether it's the private sector, whether it's a nonprofit sector, education sector, if you take the top few percent, they're all generally English speaking, and they are very much enamored by The brand value of Harvard. If you tell, if you get them a ticket to Harvard, and there's going to be a conference, and they're going to be invited, they'll all go running there. Or if you invite them to World Economic Forum, they're so uh, much in Mm -hmm. awe of these things that the the for the last ten years, the influence has been top down. It is not bottom up. They are not the these negative forces of wokeism are not going to the grassroots and trying to win people over. They are going to the top of society. And and trying to win over the rule, the leaders, and the elitists, and through that control the institutions, control the HR departments, where they have this diversity, equity, and in, inclusion. And by controlling the HR department, they install their own person. They, they install a person who's trained at Harvard or trained by influenced by the World Economic Forum. And when these people are in the HR department, they start hiring more people like themselves. So the, this is kind of an infiltration that is happening in India. But I do want to correct one thing. I don't want people to think that all Americans are like that. I think there is a fringe element of the Democratic Party. I, I just yes. want to make that very clear that Indians need to know that when we face this problem, firstly, they need to know this is a problem. and Secondly, they need to know that it comes from America, but only a certain group of Americans who happen to be very powerful. I mean, I don't know what their numerical strength is, but the fringe element who call themselves progressives uh, in the Democratic Party are the culprits who are spreading this like wildfire. And I'm a, I call myself a liberal in the classical sense, but a liberal in the sense likes ideas from everywhere. He does not believe in cancel culture. As a liberal, I don't like this cancel culture nonsense. As a liberal, I want uh, equal opportunities. I don't want equal outcomes. So you know the the liberal of the John F Kennedy era or liberal of uh, any 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 of these classical liberals haven't or or uh, or a uh, Carter Jimmy Carter kind of liberal uh, you know they are not people who are wokists. the wokism is a very recent disease that has happened in the last five ten years.
0: I agree with everything you just said and earlier when you were talking about. People in India being entranced by the Harvard brand or, you know, the the twinkling celebrity status of some of these people and wanting to go to the WEF and things like that. You know what? Honestly, that's <laughs> this may seem like a strange analogy, but we learned all that from L. Ron Hubbard, who created the Church of Scientology, which is like, let's get some famous people in here, and then that's how we'll get everybody else on board. And it seems to be the exact same thing with the WEF, I'm going to get, you know, Bono or Angelina Jolie or whoever it is, have them at the party and then we'll have a couple of other leaders. And then people want to go to that cocktail party. And over time they become indoctrinated in an idea that they may not really believe in, but they just don't want to be uninvited to the party.
1: That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. And so uh, unfortunately, you know, and this is, this is spreads the, the way culture spreads is, through elitism, a few role models are created, and they're celebrated. But you know, the World Economic Forum, which is run by Klaus Schwab, uh, is a product of Harvard Kennedy School, because Klaus Schwab was at Harvard as the A student of uh, Henry Kissinger. And the two of them were very close. And Henry Kissinger came up with this idea. And the two of them figured that uh, there needs to be something which is so powerful. It's beyond nation state, it's not accountable to anybody. It's not a university. There is, no, there is no accounts of books and where the money comes from and where the money goes. There is no transparency of who governs it. There is, it's not a democracy. All the stuff that the World Economic Forum has put out, is no democracy has ever uh, voted on it. I mean, It has not been democratically decided, and there's no democratic representation in the World Economic Forum. So all this talk of being sort of liberal is, is actually fraud because these guys are running the show in a dictatorial way
0: we were talking about this idea that as we export wokeism well in the us it's it's pretty predominant thought and much of that was presented to people via the media here in popular culture here in the us you can see the hallmarks of that written into storylines and things like that so it does give the impression that it's a more, much more powerful and influential portion of the society than it actually is. But in India, are they pervading the ideas of wokeism in popular culture the way they do here? So
1: the the uh, the average person in India is, uh, I, I would say, the elites are sold out into this. Those who are Harvard influenced and Harvard educated and so on. The average person is very clever wokeism disguises itself as social justice. It says mm-hmm. that we're going to empower women, we're going to empower the poor. And so the average guy says, yeah, I'm going to fund this cause or I'm going to support that because why, why, why shouldn't we? We should all be good to, good to each other. So they've come up, because they've come up with all these nicely branded people, Hollywood, Bollywood, all these kind of celebrities uh, to sort of support it. Even those, many of those celebrities are not that knowledgeable about it. They don't know why, they what they're supporting. They're just sort of nice, pretty faces. The point is that the average person thinks that this is credibility by association. It is credibility by association uh, because people we think of nicely, well think of well, they're sports people. Some of the sports people in India, some of the movie stars in India are in effect supporting wokeism without, without even knowing that term without knowing where it's coming from. But ideologically, these these points are being brought in. And it's resulting, if this continues, India will lose its competitiveness. India has done a very good job in the last 20 years to create a couple of generations of technocrats, a large number of engineering students, science students. Many of them come to Silicon Valley. I was there two weeks ago. Many of the billionaires, many of the CEOs of big companies are from India. So India has actually created a whole middle class of people who were educated in these technologies. But all of this will be lost once it goes into equity rather than equality, once it goes into identity politics and not into marriage. That's the concern I have.
0: No, I I understand all that. It's interesting as well, when you talk about equity instead of um, equal opportunity, like That also doesn't fit human nature because we don't all rise to a certain level and then are satisfied in that. Different people have different levels of expectations and talents and things that they want to accomplish in their life. So it, it, it's an idea that doesn't even jive with human psychology. Yeah. In fact, I tell people
1: that as an Asian, our average height is shorter than the African-Americans. So I could complain that basketball is unfair to me. I could say that the, uh, the blacks have an advantage over Asians in basketball and the rules are tilted in the favor of the blacks because they're taller. And that the, But the point is on merit, they're better. I have to admit that they have better merit. So the same way, if the test results show that Asians are doing better in math, why is that a problem? Why is it considered our burden, our liability, that we have to be guilty of, we are being called oppressors because we are outperforming in math and the science and, and these kinds of fields. So, why couldn't it be that meritocracy produces different winners in different domains? Some people are singers, some are athletes, some are mathematicians, some play chess, you know, some are good in entertainment, whatever. There are different domains in life, and different people have different skills. This is part of diversity. So I I think we should celebrate that uh, different communities and cultures have produced uh, different kinds of quality. Uh, And so there's nothing wrong. And, and, you know, if you want to raise people of a particular community in some respect, you don't have to knock down other people. It should not be a negative thing that you create hatred. Because right now what wokeism is doing because of its Marxist foundations, it's creating hatred between cultures. It's saying that people People belonging to identity X should hate identity Y and bring them
0: down in order to bring themselves up. That is what we disagree with. And that is, that's an incredibly sad situation that we would find ourselves in in the 21st century. I didn't think that was the way the future was going to go. When you talk to to Indians and you talk about this wokeness um, affecting the competitiveness of the U.S. in the realm of tech, are you telling it to them as a cautionary tale? Um, this could happen to you, or is it to help them understand why we do things the way we're doing, or both?
1: Uh, both, I would say both. I, I think that yes. a lot of Indians are concerned that uh, a lot of Indians are concerned that United States is losing its uh, technological edge to China, and they're very concerned because China is like enemy number one. China and India are real enemies. And so, uh, India has military alliances, political alliances with the, with the United States against China. And also, there's a huge threat from the Islamic radicals you know, in the neighborhood of India. So, these two bring India and the United States closer together. Now, the concern is that if the United States loses its competitive edge in technology, in weapons, in industry economy, that's not good for the world. And that's not good right. for India. Because that vacuum of global leadership will be filled by people who are India's enemies. And that's, that's, it's as simple as that. And people who are in India who are intelligent, who think about it, once this is explained to them, they do understand that we have to fight the forces of wokeism globally. We have to come together with other people who are fighting wokeism in other countries. You know, there are people like us in France who are fighting wokeism. There are people in Japan, there are people in Russia and China, of course, those those governments don't want wokeism. There are people in Britain. So in many countries, you find similar type of thinking, which is pushing back on wokeism. But wokeism has an advantage, having had a head start of 10 years, and they're globally unified, and they're extremely kind of well-networked.
0: And you... In that last passage, you you mentioned Russia and something was going through my mind. So what is the current take of India on the Russian-Ukraine situation? Because India continued to buy petroleum products from Russia um, when you know the U.S. was kind of trying to bully everybody into not doing that. I got to be honest, I, I think that India should buy resources from wherever they feel like they should buy them. See, the thing
1: is this, that what you have to realize is with 1.4 billion people, there's a lot of demand that India has to produce food grains, India has to produce basic needs, and food grains require electricity to pump the water, all of this stuff. You do not want hundreds of millions of people starving, and you need energy. And India does not have domestic energy, unlike the United States. India is import dependent on energy. So the, the people who are in charge of bringing in oil and gas, their job is to bring in whatever they can from wherever they can at the cheapest price. And so India has always had a very practical attitude. I talked to the guy in India who does, who's responsible for this and his, some of his people. And they said, you know, for us, it's a matter of survival. It's a matter of basic economic, you know, for the poor people. Uh, we have to do this. There is, it's not a matter of ideology. It's a matter of we, we want the war to be ending. We don't want all this war to continue. It's a bad idea. We've told both sides they should sit down and figure it out. India has also made it clear to Putin that you know this war is a bad timing. This is not the time to have a war. But at the end of the day, India needs the energy, and I think it's uh, absolutely. It, 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 it would be different if the United States said, "Okay, we're going to start pumping out our oil and gas because United States has a huge reserve, has a huge amount yes. of oil and gas capacity, and during the a few years ago, United States was, was the largest exporter of energy." in the world. And this was Mm -hmm. not reasons. Now, if the United States said, we're going to resume exporting all this, and we want to be an alternative to Russia, and we want India to buy it from us at the same price, I think India would go for it. But you know, you cannot tell somebody to stop eating food when you haven't offered them some alternative.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. And that was precisely the reason that I like the fact that India continued to buy oil from them, because it also sends a message to the global community like, look, we, we're not going to play that game with you because we have to take care of our own people. And here's our situation. So we're going to continue to buy that oil. And that was pretty much the U.S. that needed to be listening for the reasons that you just stated. We have it. We could produce it, but we aren't. So, yeah, U.S. should take responsibility for the fact
1: that at, from being the world's number one energy exporter just a few years ago, I'm not talking about, you know, 50 years, just Mm -hmm. a few years ago, we have now reached a situation where we are begging the Saudis and we're begging all kinds of people, you know, to give us some energy and all that. That is bad policy that people should be taking responsibility for in this country. And that policy decision again lands at the doorstep of the woke people.
0: And one last question about how India views the U.S. because I like to think, I hope that that Our countries are friendly to each other. But if I'm India, if I'm some of the people in India, I might be looking at the U.S. thinking, you know what? Gosh, they've kind of lost their step a little bit. And then when I see something like the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which was just a complete debacle, I don't know. If I'm a person in India, I might be wondering about how solid the U.S. is these days.
1: Yeah, I think that, to me, one of the worst things that happened anywhere in the world in recent few years, was the debacle in Afghanistan. There was no reason to leave Bagram Air Force Base, which is just an hour from China, an hour from all these very sensitive places. And the military had said it takes only 2,000 people to secure it, and one could have secured it forever. The the Afghanis had no business, had no right, no power to take it over. Because of what they did to the United States in 9-11, we had every right to keep some basic minimum force there, and that Air Force base was a game changer. I think the withdrawal of that, giving up that, and secondly, the manner in which it was given up was such a disgrace. It made the United States look really, really crappy, kind of irresponsible, an untrustworthy ally. Precisely. So now when the U.S. goes to some country and says, okay, uh, why don't you become our ally? They all have to be cautious. They all have to say, "Okay, we want to be friends, but we are not going to give up our other options. We must keep our other options. You might pull the plug and bail out on us at any point in time because that's your track record. So this is something the United States bad policy in recent years has done.
0: Rajiv Malhotra has been my guest this hour. Um, Rajiv, tell everybody where they can find your work and where they can buy Snakes in the Ganga, Breaking India 2.0. And if you're on social media, let us know. So,
1: yes, I'm on social media. Uh, I'm on um, Facebook. I have uh, 6.8 million followers on Facebook. Uh, On uh, on, uh, uh, YouTube, my thing is called uh, Rajiv Malhotra Official, and I have half a million followers. On Twitter, I have uh, 300,000 plus followers, and it's called Rajiv Message, R-A-J-I-V, Rajiv Message. You can go to rajivmalhotra.com. And uh, it's R A J I V M A L H O T R A. And you will see right. my books. And they're all on Amazon. You can buy Kindle edition. You can buy print edition. I have eight books out. You can buy any of them on Amazon.
0: Uh, all right, Rajiv, we, we got it. I got to run right now because I can hear the music. I want to have you back so we can talk about AI. Rajiv Malhotra, you guys will be back in just a few minutes.